Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Chad. And I'm Evan. And today, we are talking about our favorite literary tropes. But before we dive into that, let's make sure that we have our terms straight. Evan, would you be so kind as to give me the definition of a literary trope? So the word trope, as it applies to fiction, has come to be used for describing commonly recurring literary and rhetorical devices, motifs, or cliches in creative works. Some of these things could be considered old hat or overdone, but for some reason or another, they just work for us. A lot of readers come back to the same themes or premises because though you might know what to expect, you might find comfort in knowing too much. Yeah, I've always thought trope to be pretty much that, you know, just like a very common story element that you'll find sprinkled about through all sorts of different books. I'm glad that you decided you wanted to define it to start this episode off because I'll get a little not annoyed, but just like roll my eyes a little bit when I'm listening to someone online be like my favorite tropes and then they'll or my least favorite ones. And then they'll start going these really specific like, <laughs> like scenes. I'm like, I think that's just something about that story you didn't like. Like, that's not a trope. Totally. And some of these tropes are well-worn, but we just love them so much. And you're kind of sacrificing surprise and novelty for familiarity. Sometimes I want the same thing on the menu that I've had a million times because I know that I like it. Dude, I'm the worst at that. You get the, you get the same thing every time? <laughs> yeah, dude. I Once I find, and it's really bad when I go to a restaurant and I find that meal the first time because I've literally eaten nothing off the menu ever. Like Perea, I've only ever had the um, the club club wrap. I've only ever had the club wrap. You never had the fish tacos? Nope, that's what everyone tells me. They're famous. I know, I know, I know. I'm not wow. even a Bendite, I know. So, okay, trope. I just did a little bit of Googling, and apparently it is from the Greek word tropos, which means to turn or the way, which makes sense, right? It's like a certain way. It's a path, an avenue to turn towards a thing that you're familiar with. And I think that tropes get a really bad rap honestly. Yeah, like you'll hear like, there he's so tropey. Well, we're so demanding sometimes of <laughs> novelty. We want the next brand new thing that's going to knock us off our feet. And I want that too, you know, when I'm reading. And it's certainly not to say that you can't be surprised while reading something that contains a lot of the tropes that you really enjoy. And honestly, I would say that that's one of the many marks of a very skilled writer is someone that can hold those tropes in the bag and also throw some new stuff at you. Yeah, It makes for a really terrific read sometimes. Some things can cross the line for me and it's too familiar and I'm bored of it because before I've even read 100 pages, but that's really rarely the case. Me too. Like when someone's like, oh, it's so tropey. I'm usually like inside. I'm like, oh, I'll probably like it. When it comes to fantasy, I am the live, laugh, love poster of fantasy readers. I'm the <laughs> pumpkin spice latte of storytelling. Like the, the this house lives off tacos and beer welcome mat. I love a pumpkin spice latte. Yeah. And there's a reason that they come back every year because they're freaking delicious. That's that's totally fine. There's a million different reasons why people read. If it's so that you can put on that same cozy blanket, that's your prerogative. However, I will say because of all of you wonderful people out there and Evan, um, I have gotten way outside my realm in the last like couple months and been going all, all over the map. So it's been awesome. And you know what? I shouldn't stick to one thing because there's a lot of good stuff out there and I've been enjoying it all. Well, not all, but most of it. Well, it's not mutually exclusive, right? I mean, you can read two or three books that are right up your alley. You know what you're going to get. It's the same thing you've read a million times and that's totally fine. And then you can read something that's different and then you can go back to the tropes. You don't yeah. have to stay in one lane. 
This episode is for us to give some love to those tropes that are well-trodden, that we both are very, very big fans of. Let me take it away. Give me one that you really like. I love major, large battles, strategery on the field. And I and strategery? <laughs> strategery. No, I don't think so. So in the middle of a large-scale battle, occasionally a author will switch genres. You kind of have this like action fantasy genre, and then it switches to like a horror scene. And it's just this little sliver of terrifyingness right in the middle. And it's either like a large pause where everyone's experiencing it, or sometimes it's just one person. You know, after the the two lines hit and the battle kind of breaks down in these individual little skirmishes where people are fighting, just one person's horrific experience in that moment. That's like the, you know, this isn't a book, but that's like the 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 Tom Hanks moment. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan, when it kind of sucks into his head and everything Uh goes all, yeah. You just hear the, like, it's heart, you know? That is pretty tropey, yeah, now that I think about it. Yeah, it happens a lot. So one of my favorite ones, I have two, actually. Uh, One of my favorite ones is in the first Law books by Joe Abercrombie, who, in my opinion, is a very good large-scale warfare writer. There's a scene, I won't go into it in detail or even tell you the players here, but a bunch of people are waiting to be attacked and the genre just switches and it is horrific. Like I am scared thinking about this scene and I liked the scene so much. I actually did like a little in my own words rendition of it that I'm going to release to our Patreons. It's just me telling, and it's, if you, you probably should read the books first because it is a little spoiler. I'm telling you what happens, but like not the end of it, just kind of like this little 10 second chunk of just hell. The other one that comes to mind is the way of Kings when the main character is i think that he's like exhausted after carrying the bridge you know he's just like crawling along the ground and there's stampeding cavalry going over him and it's just people are getting pulverized and broken and ripped to pieces around him and it's just like that little sucked into his little perspective and he's on the ground so all he sees is the boots and the mud and the blood and it's just horrific and i love it (laughs) what do you think it is about that that's so endearing to you I've never been, obviously, I've never been in a large-scale sword battle or any large-scale battle. And I think that gives me the ability to kind of see it from their eyes and experience it firsthand. Horror is never impersonal. Like, it's always, they get you by relating to you somehow in some way that you're like, I would never do that. Or they give you one person's perspective that you can kind of latch onto. And then that is the vehicle that carries you to this, like, terrifying place. And in the way of Kings, it just is so laser focused that you're just looking out of his eyeballs and all you see is just like the bottom half of people's boot. It's just such a vulnerable position. And I don't know why I like it so much, but maybe it's, maybe it's just because it's different than the whole rest of the book. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What would you, uh, what would you say that your first, uh, first on the trope list is? One of my very favorites is the heroic last stand. Hmm. Some examples would include the, the Defense of Dross Delnock and Legend by David Gemmel, Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings, obviously, uh, Tarwin's Gap in The Wheel of Time. I think it's in the last book. Um, they're all over the place in Abercrombie's stuff, obviously. Uh, the Sieges of Capistan and Coral in Memories of Ice uh, by Steven Erickson from Malazan, Book of the Fallen. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Dark Midnight of the Soul. It's always been a staple in storytelling. You know, you want to bring someone all the way down and i really love watching these characters that i've been with for hundreds of pages get to this point where they can't possibly win it is hopeless it is desperate and i'm scratching my head just saying to myself there's no way they're going to get out of this 
And even though somewhere in me, I know they absolutely will, at least in some part, I love the resolution every time. And sometimes that resolution wasn't anything close to something I was expecting to happen. But that pit right down there and you're and you're just like, there's I can't see how this is ever going to work out. And that's where so much dramatic tension lives. Mm. I mean, a really good example, like I just mentioned, is, is Helm's Deep right before Gandalf shows up. It's like, is this even going to? No, there's no way. Like, there's no, I mean, and, and there's 10,000 orcs, you know, and there's just like, they're all holed up. It's, it literally is a last stand. If they don't win this, they're all going to die. And not only that, but their families, their children, their wives, everyone's dead. Right. So it's like you have this combination of high stakes with a very low probability to come mm -hmm. through. Like I said, even if I know in my heart of hearts that it's probably going to be OK in the end, I will run back to that trope every single time. Do you find that it diminishes your experience when they don't overcome and they all die valiantly? Because <laughs> that happens sometimes. I mean, I guess it depends on how the rest of the book was. OK. Especially if it's not the very end of a series or, or something, right? Where it's like the consequences of that heroic last stand kind of germinate from them losing that oh. conflict. And then the series continues on. Like, that's fine. Right. It can kind of be the spark that fuels the flame in later last stands, probably. Yeah, I mean, like there's a, there's a sort of last stand in Dead House Gates, which is book two of, mm -hmm. and I think you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's not pretty. Nope. <laughs> I threw my book right way across the room when I was reading it. And that's saying something because you treat your books so kindly. I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, it doesn't always have to be perfect, but it usually is. And I, I'm, I'm so okay with it. And so you think it's the, the primary reason why you like it is the, even if they don't win, it's the going through the darkness and still being stalwart in there defense right i mean well i mean the, they're they're people that you've that you've been with for hundreds of pages usually and so seeing somebody brought so low to yeah. this point where and not low necessarily in character but in spirit right they're hopeless you're hopeless they don't know how they're going to get through this you don't know how they're going to get through this and then the best is when something you weren't really expecting kind of comes and turns the tide and, you know, I've, I've like jumped to my feet before because I was Same. just like, yes, like that. I didn't see this coming. This is amazing. What a good idea. It wraps so many other things up. You know, that, that heroic last stand is a really good point for characters to really shine. You know, you see the best and the worst of characters in those kinds of moments. And I'll just never get sick of it ever. And I think there's something very relatable about, you know, in, in both of our first tropes, there's like a there's a questioning of the inner self that's happening in those moments. Right. Because the horror is something horrific is happening. Something that the person does not want to have happen to them is happening. And there's like this moment inside of them where it's like, am I going to be the one person who charges down that hill into the face of, of danger? Or am I going to be the one person who, like, that person that you always worry is the real you inside of you will emerge and I'll be a coward and turn tail and run and abandon all my people, you know? That ability to rise above that and face that moment, which we all go through at some point in our lives, is uh, very relatable, I think. Yeah, I remember, like, I was on tour a while back and reading the last book in the Wheel of Time series while I was on tour. And it was a bad tour. We were all bummed out for a lot mm. of it. And This is a European one? Yeah, we were just broke yeah. and tired and dirty and... I remember reading certain parts of those books and they were really inspiring, you know, and like, obviously I'm not down in the trenches, like swinging a sword or anything, but I mean, I'm doing my own equivalent 
of that. And I have had a lot of Dark Midnights of the Soul in my own life. And I have thought about different characters that I've read and just thought, hey, you know, worked out for them. Why can't it work out for me? I mean, this is my things going on in my life aren't as bad as uh, the world literally ending. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was reading. Uh, thank God I was reading um, The Endurance, which is a true story about we talked about it in a previous episode about the um, uh, a captain of a of a ship gets stuck in an Antarctican ice and they have to stay in the in the ice flow for like a year and a half down in Antarctica. And I was reading that right when COVID hit, and I would just be like, "Whoa, is me?" And there's all sorts of terrible things going on. And I would pick that up and just find so much like, like encouragement in it because these men were going through a million times things worse than I was, and I was just not taking it, not handling it well. And they were taking it like champions. And I was like, "Okay, maybe I need to." You need to buck up champion. <laughs> like, well, and, and obviously, you know, like most suffering is fairly relative, right? I mean, sure. like, um, you know, just because someone has it worse than you doesn't necessarily mean your situation isn't also bad. Very true. But it is nice to be able to relate. And, you know, obviously, uh, it very much feels sometimes like I don't got this. Yeah, I dude. do not. I do not got this. <laughs> Fully not got this. <laughs> but, you know, just like. Our friends, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Theoden, at Helm's Deep, it's not looking good. The tide turns. I think about that a lot. And sometimes the best thing to do is charge. What's another one for you? So my second one is plot armor. I love plot armor. I love my character being in dangerous situations, always about to die, and then miraculously surviving. I don't read books because they're realistic, especially fantasy books. I'm reading about dragons and magic. Like, I'm not there for to read something realistic. I want to see, you know, the hero overcome this crazy, you know, one in 1 million dice roll. And he did it five times in a row. I have no problem with that. You don't feel like it's unearned or if it's overused, then yeah. Sometimes I'm like, okay, you're feeding me spoonfuls of cinnamon. And I just want a little bit on top of my toast, you know, but like too much is definitely too much, but by and large, I want, I would rather have too much than too little. I'd rather have an exciting story than one where I'm like, Oh man, he should not have lived through the dragon thing. Well, Well, there's no dragons. So, I think it depends on context, right? Yeah. You know, in the, in the in the new Game of Thrones season, the the season of which we do not speak, <laughs> season 8. You know, but man, I those mean, dragons look so good. Great. <laughs> <laughs> they did look great. Yes, that's fine. I, but you know, when um when the when the night walkers are what's that what they're called? I can't even remember night anymore. Night watch? No, that's um Oh, the Nightwatch is, is a... The yeah. White Walkers. Jeez. White Walkers, there we go. Yeah. I just, like, stopped caring so much the about White that Watch? show. <laughs> yeah. When the White Walkers are, like, you know, descending on Winterfell, they'll all kind of, like, swarm over one of our heroes, and then it just, the camera just, like, cuts away to something else, and then, yeah. and then a couple minutes later, they're fine. Like, that's yeah, the like kind of... fighting alone. You're like, how did... Yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of plot armor that I don't like. Like, I see what you're saying, for sure. You're saying... You don't mind it if a character gets through some kind of ridiculous circumstance and totally. maybe it's not like super believable, but they're they're still around because, you know, you want that they, character to be around. There's this still yeah. has the stories, but it's it's like when when it's like, OK, well, this like Brienne was just tackled by 15 zombies with knives and like now she's just fine. Like, that's yeah, no, weird. I. I agree with you completely. My point is like, I'm if Salvatore ever killed Dritz Duerden, I would be very upset. That's a you know? super goes, good example. Yeah, yeah like he yeah. goes into the most ridiculous situation. Him and Wolfgar goes into a, a, um, 
a cave of giants, like a whole lair. There's like 30 of them in there and they kill them all. <laughs> just the two of them. <laughs> yeah. Giants. And, uh, and there's like, so there's like magic casters in there and they just, Merkman, this is like an Icewind Dale. It's the first one in uh, the Crystal Shard. And, you know, Wolfgar is still just like a young buck, you know, and they go in and just cause some hurt. <laughs> and, you but know. when that happens, I mean, I haven't read a Crystal Shard in a little while, but um, when that happens, like, they don't just kill everybody and then waltz out of there, right? I mean, like, oh, there's, no. there's, yeah, right. So They're pretty jacked they, by the time they Because <laughs> there's, there's like different degrees of plot armor. Right? Yeah, it's kind of like what I'm, it's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, if they just went in there and just slayed, and nothing munching like, on some limbos bread like strolling right, out <laughs> yeah um i think that that kind of plot armor i think you, what, what you're what you're saying maybe is like the that kind of overarching like the 007 kind of yes. you know like you know 007 is gonna be fine like right. there's got to be more 007 movies yeah and like when vin diesel like drives out of the like 40th story of a skyscraper in his car <laughs> and right. then goes into the other skyscraper it's like I just it's cool <laughs> I like it I think that's commendable for sure because I'm one of those people that kind of complains about plot armor <laughs> <Who are you? laughs> yeah I just have read so many boring books and sometimes I can tell like this author has had heard too many he's listened to too many complainers talk about plot armor and as a result he's afraid of it and his story is boring and it's so real it's so realistic but you know I can read my diary if I'm <laughs> trying to you know read that <laughs> um what is your second one the school academy mm. learning man trope i love it examples would be harry potter the name of the wind uh the poppy war for a decent chunk of it uh blood song ninth house by lee bardugo the magicians by lev grossman i could go on and on and on a lot of people use this one i can't get enough of it one of the reasons i think it does such a good job at sucking me in is that Progression usually goes hand in hand with proactivity. When a character is progressing through something and you can see that progression, it's usually a result of proactivity. They're trying. You right. know, we want to see it's characters action. try. At least I do. I love a character that tries. Even if they fail, I love seeing it. And, and we're learning right alongside the character. Um, usually in a lot of those kinds of situations, you have what's called the Watson character. Have you heard of that before? No, but I can make some guesses. Tell me. Totally. Watson in Sherlock Holmes. Right. Sherlock Holmes is explaining things to Watson. Right, but he's really right. explaining it to, to us, you. the reader. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, so when, when you've got a, a main character that's in a school setting, they're usually ignorant. And while they're being taught, you're also being taught. It's very clever. That's why you're so drawn into Harry Potter when you're reading it as a 12-year-old. Because right. you know, Harry is brand new to this world, and so are you. So it makes it that much easier to have things explained to us without feeling like we're being told instead of shown. The character is being shown, so therefore, so is the reader. And this works really well. And of course, we've all had that experience to one degree or another being in that environment. Like We know what it's like to want to do really well on something and fail to overcome that failure because you finally understand something. And watching someone do that over and over and over again in a magical or fantastical setting, I will always run back to that. All of us at one point in our life went, went through some form of schooling. It's such a relatable atmosphere. It gives other characters some room to breathe, too, because they're going to be in and out of that school setting, too. You know, it's like a, this it's this nice contained story with a bunch of really relatable elements. 
Yeah. And your characters don't have to be interesting. Like they can be 14 and it's okay because yeah. the surroundings that they're in is very interesting. Yeah. It calls for it. Yeah. It all makes sense. And also one of my favorite things in general is learning. Same. If I'm learning right alongside a character that I like, that's even better. And then you combine that with a solid story, some magic, some dragons, some whatever. Oof. Go for it, Chad. Give me another one of yours. Okay, so I'm going to do a two for for one because I'm going to hit one that's just, I know we said three, but this one was so like pivotal to me that I had to mention it. Marvel movies, every character is this character, and I hate that they do that because it just like ruins it for me. But um, the honorable mention is that sidekick to the main character who cracks jokes in the face of death. You know, kind of like Pippin in Lord of the Rings or Dandelion, Jeskier um, in, in The Witcher. You know, they're like, they're just looking at the dragon and he's like, pretty hot in here. Huh? You know, crack some joke or something. And it's just, I like that character. Okay, so my actual third one is the Honorable Thief. The bad guy with the good heart. You know, I love that guy. And my favorite, one of my favorite examples of that character is uh, Locke Lamora in The Lies of Locke Lamora. And one of my top three favorite fantasy novels for sure. Really excellent. Ah, so good. He's just... I feel like, I don't want to say like I resonate with him because I am him. I think I've always wanted to be like this roguish devil. Like I'm not, I'm not like mysterious or cool like that, but I've always wanted that. And I just like really like that character. And they're always like smooth and they're good at heists and they can put on like other personas and like get in with the novel, like the upper class, you know, and they can get in there and steal stuff from them and they have good one-liners and I just they're love so that capable. character. Yeah, they're so capable and they can go off by themselves and overcome challenges and I just... I really like the honorable thief, but then at the end of the day, they give half of their loaf of bread to the wastrel on the corner. You know, you're like, ah, what a guy. Robin Hood. Yeah, exactly. I'm a sucker for Robin Hood. I think the cool thing about Locke Lamora is they're stealing not to give to the poor necessarily, but just because like, fuck the bourgeois. <laughs> yeah. like, that's. I think that is like one of the main reasons I love that series is, you know, <laughs> and they've got like a they've got like a thief god mm -hmm. you know the uh, the 13th or whatever yeah, the, um, yeah, yeah, the nameless yeah. the nameless 13th and it is it is fun to watch somebody that's so 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 capable but they do trip up sometimes oh absolutely that's kind of part and parcel with the character in my opinion like oh yeah they 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 kind of like through their own hubris will kind of like get their comeuppance every now and then and it's fun to watch Absolutely. that too because it's fun yeah. to watch their reaction to it and like the pride cometh you know it's always like because you're always like oh what a prick but like i, I liked it i get off to it but then it's always kind of like a little satisfying to watch them get fall as well <laughs> right but then they pick themselves back up yeah that's a really fun character for sure there's a character kind of like the the lovable thief roguish type in um, shades of magic by ve schwab that's another really awesome trilogy uh, her name is lila bard she is such a kick-ass character. But yeah, a lot of those same kinds of things, you know, just super capable, maybe kind of trips up on her capabilities sometimes, like a little overconfident, but we love an overconfident character. Yeah, just like my plot armor, I'd rather have too much than too little. Same with confidence. Go ahead and hit me with your third. And if you sneak an extra one in there like I did, uh, I want I do, you. yeah, I do have like a kind of, do you? I guess, <laughs> yeah, I kind of have like a runner-up type thing, but I'll, I'll save that for the end. Okay. Um, Which would be fitting. But yeah, my third favorite trope is the reluctant hero. That is the big one. That's the one that I will just absolutely always, always, you know, Randolph Thor, Frodo Baggins, Bilbo Baggins. It's the best one. It really, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just, they don't want to go. They got to go. 
and it's so cliche. That is in Joseph Campbell's monomyth. That's the hero's journey 101. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the top of the circle. And it's, I mean, it's the most relatable of them all, right? Because we kind of do that every day, getting up and going to work. Right. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> I want to no. lay around playing video games and eating pizza. Like, I don't want to go on any kind of adventure. I mean, like, I no. think I do, but I really don't. Like, I don't. Yeah, but like... when you're out, like, actually in a swamp, like, ankle deep in the water, cold, you're like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's like the ultimate relatability. You know, somebody being wrenched out of their comfort zone. Like, I'm taken out of mine constantly. You know, I went to the movies the other day and I just like, didn't want to go. Like, I... <laughs> <laughs> you reluctant heroed your ways to the movies. Nice. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I Bilbo Baggins my way, but it was it was a good time, and that's that's another reason why I like the Reluctant Hero so much is because yes, he is reluctant. They are they don't want to do it, but they learn so much about themselves over the course of this journey. It's addicting. I know that a lot of people listening here too can totally totally agree with that one. I mean, absolutely, it's, it's probably one of the most overused tropes there is. Well, not overused. I'm not going to say overused. It's one of the most used. I, overused has a connotation that I that I don't like how much it's used. Right. It's it's used a lot. It's good enough to be used a lot. It's so damn relatable. There, we we do have our own kind of everyday adventures. Me getting my clothes on and leaving, going out into the world. We hobbits are simple, quiet folk. Adventures <laughs> make one late for dinner. <laughs> and the older I get, the more I relate to that. Honestly. And then the the kind of runner-up, and I think that this is a really fitting trope for us kind of wrapping up this episode, I love a happy ending. Oh, me too. There's, there's too many examples to count, obviously. And don't get me wrong. I like a nice gray, kind of like what we were talking about before. Like I, I like a nice ambivalent ending, something dark and open-ended. But that feeling of getting to the end of a story and most, if not all, things have worked out for all of our friends... I just love it. I love it when everything wraps up in a real nice package and everybody's just good, you know, right. and it, it makes it feel like the, the story that I just read, like it was worth my time. I got yeah. to take something positive from that experience. The best kinds of stories is, is when it, it makes sense that everybody's in a good spot. All the loose ends are tied up very neatly and or at least happily. at least most of them, you know, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect. It'd be nice if it was perfect, but it rarely ever is. You know, and I I like a bittersweet ending. It's it's cool, you know, but the, just the happy one, that's, I'm into Dude, it. I'm with, I'm with you 100%. I yeah. will never tire. Of, I'm an optimist to the day I die, and, like, I will never tire of that. I remember walking out of uh, the Phantom Menace after they get done freeing, and they uh, free in the, the whole... Um, Oh gosh, what's the Naboo? They free Naboo, right? Oh, it's yeah. Naboo at the end yeah. of that, and it's like the yeah. <laughs> you know, like, he's like Peace, and he holds the big glow yeah. up. Man. Yeah, that's a I good ending. Like, yeah, I was humming that for weeks. You know, every time I get a little down on myself, like. Well, it's like uh, I mean, like you know, the first couple Harry Potter movies, it's like everyone's just like eating pumpkin pasties, and you know, it's like there's no. Then. You know, and I love the later books in those series, but like, besties. yeah, everybody's just stoked, and it is like they they lived happily ever after. You know, even even the very end of Harry Potter, it's like a lot of people had a problem with that prologue, but or the epilogue in the series. But I mean, I really like the epilogue in the Harry Potter series. I mean, yeah, it's a little like the movies. It's like a little cringy, I guess. Like you know, they've got yeah. like Harry. They give Ron like this weird like 
pot belly or whatever it yeah is. It's like, just, it is weird to, yeah like it looks kind of weird i remember reading deathly hollows when i was like 17 18 like for the very first time i was so fine with it like i, I really all was well you know like i just spent seven books over the course of a how, however many years same thing with lord of the rings like these big epic super cliched stories or at least now they're cliche why would i want it any other way with something yeah. that and you know obviously i do want it certain other ways and there have been endings where it's just like everybody's dead it's bad just it this is the end of the book and yep it's roll credits like, totally whoa. it's just like with any other trope and I'll kind of wrap it back up to what i was saying at the beginning of the episode but i don't need it every time you don't need it every single time but it's these things that we run back to we know it's gonna work and i think it's a shame that some people try their best to avoid tropes every time they read something or watch something and i think you're doing yourself a disservice you I know agree. i mean read and watch and play whatever you want obviously you are your own person you have your own autonomy and stuff but like when you're in touch with something that you really love and you can go back to it you can either reread it or your friend tells you about it and you know it's like when i tell you you would really like this because it has military right you know when you're reading these military scenes kind of what you're going to get you're not going to be 100 surprised and no. your your expectations are not going to be subverted with every and honestly thing. i don't want to be i know right. what i like and you know there's a reason that cookies all have sugar in them sugar's <laughs> delicious that's a pretty good analogy <laughs> for it thank you <laughs> and on that note i think we should make it a happy ending call right. it huh let's call it yeah <laughs> i think that's a good place to wrap up thanks so much everybody for being with us for this discussion chad and i've been meaning to talk about this for a while but we had to kind of like write down because i have a ton of things that i obviously love about the books that i read and i know that you do too chad yeah, there's like a page and a half beneath this i'm like kind of sad that we're ending now but it's such a perfect place to end it's been gone long enough so we're, we got to do it thank you chad thank you everybody listening well we will see you next time on book reviews kill and if you want to support us, uh, please hit the link down below to access our Patreon. And we have opened up our Discord. I'm actually putting the invite link into the description beneath the episode. So if you want to hop in there, we've had, I don't know, 10 people join since we opened it up like two days ago to the non-Patreons. And there's like always a very good book conversation happening in there. And it's I'm like sad when I get in. I'm like, I've missed so much. I'm like scrolling up. So please join us. Um, thank you, Evan, for you joining us and uh, your, your awesome book knowledge. And thank you, everyone, for your time and attention. Have a great week. Bye, Bye everybody. Ah, beat you to ah, it. You bastard. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. All right.